This is Thinking Drinking, a podcast about drinks, trivia, and social history with absolutely no tasting notes. I'm Tim, and I'm joined in the virtual pub by my drinking buddy, Ilyri. What are you drinking and thinking about today? Hello. I'm drinking a Horse Guards gin with tonic and some frozen berries thrown in there to make it all fancy. Lovely. Mm. I'm thinking about semen. Ah, of course it is that time of the evening where the mind wanders onto semen and all things nautical, indeed. Uh-huh. <laughs> how, is your, um, how is your briny deep these days? <laughs> you don't want to know. <laughs> pretty, pretty briny. <laughs> really deep. <laughs> um, guess what I am drinking in honour of the nautical adventures we're about to have? Mm, is it rum? You would think that would be the obvious choice, but instead I have gone for port. Ooh, nice. I thought it was appropriately nautical. Although actually we're not going to talk about port today because that deserves its own episode, but it's still very relevant. Yes. <laughs> so I was thinking to get us like in the headspace of sailors and pirates and whatnot. Um, we should probably learn a bit of lingo, a little bit of sailor slang. Yar. Okay. So, I mean, actually, so much of our language has taken slang from sailors and from, from the Navy. Uh, slanguage, as I like to call it. <laughs> um, <laughs> so much of it has so many common sayings. I've only picked out the ones that are relevant to drink, otherwise we'd be here all evening. Um, but I'm going to start with my favourite which is the term scuttlebutt. It sounds rude. It, it's either rude or it's a really derogatory, like nasty thing to say. It, do, it does feel like something I would call you, yeah. Um, <laughs> a butt is a barrel, and certainly in your case, that's true. Um, and scuttle, that's <laughs> shade already, so early for shade. <laughs> scuttle means um, to chop a hole in something. So the scuttlebutt, was a water barrel with a hole cut into it so that sailors could reach in and um, uh, take drinking water out of it. And the scuttlebutt was essentially the place where all the ship's gossip happened. So it's, it's, a, it's the water cooler. It's the um, at-sea version of a water cooler moment and conversation. That's what a scuttlebutt is. I like it. Yeah, me too. This one you will definitely recognise as a phrase. Three sheets to the wind. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I am fully aware of that one. <laughs> yeah, what, what do three sheets to the wind mean? I mean, in Wales, it means that you are absolutely shit-faced. I'm sure it probably means you're just a bit drunk, but... No, 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 you're, you're right. This is the highest level of drunkenness is three sheets to the wind. Oh, um, I would admit, wouldn't it? Yeah, you're all kind of all in with your sails. Yeah, so it's it's about not having control of the boat because the sheets or lines that are connected to the sails um, had been let go or, or lost. 
And you would, they did have expressions of two sheets to the winds and one sheets to the winds on your varying levels of drunkenness, but we really only held on to three sheets to the winds, the most extreme version of it. Uh, bottoms up, my dear. Chin it. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you'd like that one. Chin it. Bottoms up. So um, this is thought to come from a time when English sailors were sometimes tricked into joining the Navy. And the trick is that you um, give someone unsuspecting a beer with a coin at the bottom of it. And once the um, person had sort of drunk the beer and then had, had um, hold of the coin, it was deemed that they'd accepted payment and that they'd therefore enrolled or been press ganged into the Royal Navy. And so as people started to wise up to this, uh, this con trick, They'd say bottoms up to the people they were drinking with in order to check the bottom for any hidden coins at the bottom of their glasses. Hazing? Have you heard of hazing? No. I don't know why my mind's immediately going to ghosting. (laughs) (laughs) It's not ghosting. Um, So hazing is something that's more well-known in the US as something you do like when you first go to college or, or university here where like um, fraternal organizations will put you through uh, lots of kind of torture and drinking games and stuff so that you sort of prove yourself to be worthy of being part of their clique. And the haze comes from, comes from sailors. So what they would do is they would keep the crew working kind of all hours of the day and night, whether it was necessary or not, to deprive them of sleep and make them a bit generally miserable. Um, and mm-hmm. captains would do that to kind of assert their authority early on, particularly with new crew members or if they were a new new captain. So that practice of like humiliating and harassing people um, has stayed around into the US college system. And what's kind of funny about that is... What they tried to do with us in Tallinn when the minimum lack us, but it backfired. <laughs> yeah, yes, exactly. Yeah, they tried a hazing process when we joined um, Microsoft, but it, it didn't work on us, did it? because um, we cannot be humiliated. <laughs> and um, yeah, so it's funny though that it stayed around in the US because uh, when I was looking into the, the, the drinking habits of navies and sailors and stuff, a lot of information on Europeans, but the Americans favored teetotalism. So they weren't really in for all this drinking and hazing and all this business. In fact, they were, um, they were given coffee rations mostly. So, the fact that we haven't taken on hazing from the Navy, but they have, even though our navies drank and they didn't, I think is a weird sort of cultural swap. Um, over the barrel. So um, that's... say it. <laughs> <laughs> right. That's something you might uh, find yourself in the position of if you're going through hazing. Uh, is the, basically, it was the most common method of punishment aboard the ship. You would be put over the barrel and flogged. I don't know why they call it punishment. Um, and uh, so that unfortunate sailor would be uh, tied to a, a mast or grating on a barrel of the, of the cannon. And so now we just use it to say, you know, someone's kind of got you to rights. They have power over you. They've got you over a barrel. Um, keel over. Obviously means fall over. If you keel over, you are, you've probably had far too much to drink. Um, and you are going bottoms up yourself. And that's just because the underside of the boat is the keel. So if it kind of emerges out of the water, 
um, and comes over, then the boat has capsized. And that was them just kind of saying, you've had mm -hmm. too much, uh, you've had too much to drink, you keel over, you look like a boat that's been capsized. Um, another one, which I can't find too much about, but I have seen mentioned is up the pole. <laughs> um, so I mean, it literally, you know, in North school terms, it, it literally means going up the mast. I think it's like the equivalent of getting high. So I know we only really use the term get high for drugs now, but we did used to use it for alcohol consumption as well. Like if you were drunk, you would be high on alcohol. So I think up the pole is just someone who's drunk too much is really high on, the, on drinking now. That's what I can determine anyway. And then the last one I have for you, which is a teaser for what I'm going to talk about later, is groggy. Groggy comes from the Navy as well, and it does literally mean having too much grog. Um, which is the sailor's drink that I will tell you about a bit later. Teaser. Yum, yum, yum. <laughs> are, you, are you suitably um, armed with uh, sailor drinking words now to uh, take us forward? Yeah, I mean, it makes a difference when we just shout in yar all the time. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, let's not underestimate the power of yar and pirates. <laughs> well, I do want to speak about pirates, actually, because... I've spent a lot of time recently playing a game called Sea of Thieves. Um, so I've fallen back in love with my consoles since I've been in lockdown. And Sea of Thieves is one of those games that I've really enjoyed playing. It's a multiplayer game that you can play cross-platform. So I've been playing with lots of friends uh, and my brother. We basically are pirates aboard our very own ship, Sailing the Seas, and getting into fights with skeleton crews and other crews and doing general piratey things and there's lots of little bits of the game that just make it a lot of fun you know it's fun anyway manning the ship and being a pirate but there's lots of little things like shanties which i love i love a sea shanty yes um and they have like a whole catalog of songs preloaded into the game and you have like a ton of different instruments to choose from. You've got um, a drum, a ukulele, um, a banjo, an accordion, um, another kind of like bass guitar, but it's like a really old steampunky thing. It's really cool. Uh, but when you've got like a full boat of pirates, say there's like four or five of you, you can all pick a different instrument and you play together and they all play in harmony and they all sync up and you can play like a ton of songs. Uh, our favourite one is Ride of the Valkyries, because when you're three sheets to the wind, literally, I mean, like, going hell for leather in the middle of a storm on your galleon, and mm. everyone's Ride the Valkyries, it's it's really sad, but it's really cool. <laughs> We're all like that. <laughs> um, that sounds fun. I've um... You, um, add drinking to the mix, and it gets quite interesting, because... You can also drink. Like, why wouldn't you be able to drink in a pirate game? You're a mm -hmm. pirate. So you can go below deck and drink grog and get very drunk. Um, and if you try and play the shanties and on your instruments whilst you're all drunk, it's just it's all out of tune and terrible and hilarious. And you start throwing up on each other as well. <laughs> I mean, that sounds delightful. You know what? It's maybe it's just reminded me of some. Um associations I have with video games as well. The first mm -hmm. time I ever heard the word grog and had to look up what it was, 
I was playing the classic video game, Monkey Island. Did you ever play yeah, that? Did. It's one of my favorite games ever. It's so funny. Um, mm -hmm. But yeah, there was in the, in the very first game, there was a, a situation where you have to try and break someone out of jail. Don't know how well mm -hmm. you remember this. And the way to do it was you had to go to the tavern and get multiple um, pewter tankards, empty pewter tankards, and then go and get a mug of grog. And the grog was so toxic that it would eat through um, the metal uh, of the tankards. And so you would walk for a bit and then you'd have to transfer your sort of melting mug into another mug. And you had to do that a couple of times and then use it on the, um, on the prison lock in order to break someone out. And that was the first nice. time I remember going, what's grog and why is it eating through metal? <laughs> well, the only use for the grog in CFC is <clears throat> that I've found so far is to, just to get very, very, very drunk. Um, and you can equip yourself with a bucket and you throw up in the bucket, which you can then throw at people, which is handy. <laughs> These are very different approaches to using grog. <laughs> How delightful. I understand why you like playing this game. <laughs> the, the music's good. The drinking is hilarious. Um, but yeah, the, um, I actually learnt my, I taught myself to play uh, one of the Sea of Thieves shanties just for this podcast what yes are we gonna get some live performance we are but i mean it's been a long time since i played piano so mm -hmm. i'm a bit rusty <laughs> rusty barnacle Man down. <laughs> that put me in the mood. So, uh, well done. I've played that all week, and it's the last couple of bars that buggered me. <laughs> but yeah, they've had me over a barrel. Those bars. Had me over the barrel. Um, is my one of my favourite songs in Sea of Thieves. I like it. Do you know? I've just thought there's another game that has a lot of shanties. Is the Assassin's Creed series. Um, every time you go travelling on a ship, shanties happen. <laughs> And mm -hmm. um, I like that, you know, Assassin's Creed always does its historical research. So you do actually get kind of accurate songs um, from, from the time in Black Flag of, of sailing in the Caribbean. But most recently I played the one in ancient Greece. And so they're singing in, um, in ancient Greek, which is fun. Yeah. Don't know if that counts yeah. as a pirate shanty if it's ancient Greece, but it's very similar lines. And they, they were definitely drinking a lot of wine. I was actually trying to find some funny kind of piratey uh, lyrics. <clears throat> um, I had a playlist on my Spotify from years and years ago of, of piratey music for some reason. And I was listening to it this morning just to get in the mood. And there was one song on there called Buried Alive by a band called the Poxy Boggards or something. Mm -hmm. I'll have to double name. But um, I couldn't for the life of me find the lyrics online, but they were quite funny. Um, they were singing about a really crappy pirate that had pissed in the whiskey and shattered the tea. And then they were kind of gauding him, saying that how their wife was on board. His wife's on board, but don't worry, she's good as gold. We keep her below deck and uh, we keep her mouth full so she's quiet. <laughs> That's atrocious. 
it's a very very rude song which is probably why it's not uh, available online publicly available you can only find it on the dark web <laughs> oh, or, or the black internet as you would call it <laughs> the black internet pub <laughs> <laughs> don't blame this on the people of birmingham you said it <laughs> oh. While I was trying to find those lyrics, I stumbled stumbled on a whole genre of music called pirate metal. Okay. Uh, so it's the subgenre subgenre of heavy heavy metal, and it's just basically a bunch of guys who are in heavy metal bands who wanted to be even more theatric and just have a big dramatic kind of performance that involved, you know, lots of japery and drinking on stage mm -hmm. um so yeah uh pirate metal was um born and some of the bands like even their names are inspired by booze lagerstein <laughs> it's uh, <laughs> i had one of those on saturday actually <laughs> so <laughs> in uh, in their own words we live up to our name and take the party and lifestyle of a pirate to the extreme uh, they have songs like Razia Steins, Drink the Rum, Fountain of Rum, and an album called All for Rum and Rum for All. You know, I'm not convinced that pirates come from the heart of Bavaria. But, um, <laughs> I'm, I'm open-minded about progress. <laughs> Traditional um, pirates that drink their steins. Okay. <laughs> but I really, really, really want to go and see... A pirate death metal band now after researching this <laughs> date i'm sure we'll find one there's got to be some yeah. in bristol right <laughs> when thecla is a great venue i'm sure they have pirate metal bands mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. uh but yeah I, i've just i went into this massive hall of reading about pirate metal bands and i think i want to be in a pirate metal band now it's nice to have aims isn't it <laughs> <laughs> Good. I didn't realise. So we are recording this on the fifteenth of September. Mm -hmm. On the nineteenth of September, it's International Talking Pirate Day. Ah, that's just reminded we were, me of something. We were so close. I mean, yeah. This. I mean, we're we're doing our bit. We're just always ahead of the curve as ever. So I just remembered something about International Talking Pirate Day. Um, when I was an actor, I was in a play that had its run over International Sort of Like a Pirate Day. I think we were about three weeks into the run by this point, and already you're looking for things to do to entertain yourself. You know, you don't just want to do the normal play anymore. It's like, what can we, what can we slip in to um, entertain ourselves? And we were like, let's see how many pirate words we can slip into the Duchess of Malfi. So... Um, <laughs> Every, almost every scene, I extended my R sounds to try and get lots of R's in. But um, there was there was a scene in it where my character was supposed to drink an espresso because there is espresso drinking in Duchess of Malfi, apparently. Um, and the uh, the the waiter person who brought it out for me had filled it with spiced rum instead of the usual water. Oh, nice. Yep. So I went in, <laughs> necked it, <laughs> chinned it. Bottoms up, um, without realizing that there was rum in it. And it took me a good minute to stop choking and crack on with um, the play oh. after that. But it was a very memorable occasion. <laughs> <laughs> Arr, I won though, because I got the most pirate noises in. 
I want I want another rum. <laughs> All right, so let's let's get on to why grog exists, like how it came about. Um, so the thing is, sailors needed hydration when they were on their voyages, right? And they would have to take a lot of fresh water with them in barrels because you know desalinating at sea just wasn't practical. Um, but the but the thing is with that, it quickly develops algae and becomes slimy. So it isn't very nice to drink. And what they would do initially is they would sweeten the stagnant water with beer or wine to just try and make it a bit more palatable. We're talking sort of early 17th century. But even that involves a lot more casks because then you have to take casks of beer or casks of wine with you. And even then they spoil, you know, a little bit slower than water, but the beer will spoil next and then the wine will spoil next. And it just increases the amount of storage you've got. So there's a big kind of problem, especially if you're going on longer voyages, like how can you store enough um, to kind of keep you going? Then England went and decided that they were going to um, stomp all over Jamaica in 1655. And one of the consequences of that is that they discovered that they could replace their beer with rum. And rum, you know, rum was happening in the Caribbean because in the 15th century, Europeans introduced sugarcane. And um, obviously we have the, you know, the horrific slave trade triangle with um, sugar production. One of the byproducts of sugar production is molasses. And molasses you can ferment into rum. So that's why they had rum. That's why they sort of went, oh, we could use this instead. And the idea you know, was that it's supposed to flavour your stagnant water so you can stomach it. Um, and rather than the several pints of beer, they were rationed half a pint of rum. Um, and of course, what inevitably happened in the early days is that some sailors decided that rather than use it to dilute the gross water, they were going to save up their rations and then binge it all in one go. In it. <laughs> yes, <laughs> I'm sure you can sympathise. So, um, so there were, you know, emerging kind of illness and disciplinary problems with sailors who were saving up their rum. Um, and enter Vice Admiral Edward Vernon in 1740, and he orders his crew uh, to mix their daily rum ration um, of half a pint with one quart of water and to issue it in two servings. So they'd have one serving before noon and they'd have another at the end of the working day. It didn't become part of official regulations for another 16 years um, in 1756, but after it did, that lasted a good two centuries or so. Mm -hmm. So the ratio for grog is one part rum to four parts water, as it was prescribed by the Navy. Now, Brits abroad issue has been there since 1655. <laughs> oh, never ending. <laughs> never ending. Um, right, so uh, uh, with around this kind of time of creation of grog, some people have written about, and I think gotten a bit confused, with the addition of citrus juice. So some people said, oh, he, Vernon also added citrus juice to prevent spoilage and to prevent scurvy. But that's not quite right. Um, so he 
said to he definitely instructed the sailors to dilute the rum with water and then he also said that members of the crew which are good husbandmen may from their saving of their salt provisions and bread purchase sugar and limes to make it more palatable to them so he said if you want it's nicer as we all know <laughs> to mix rum and water with sugar and lime so there was no um, official edition of it or anything like that at that time the men would have to pay for it themselves and it was purely to improve the taste at that point so it's unlikely that most of the sailors would have done that because they you know they wouldn't be able to afford it in any way they were just saving up their, their rum to drink and eat um and likewise it didn't really have anything to do with combating scurvy at that time and scurvy was a huge problem on long ocean voyages um there was you know not so much in the around the caribbean because if they're just going between islands obviously they're not there for very long and they can get fresh fruit and veg from the islands because when they're going on the longer ones um, to india for example across the atlantic and the medical establishment at the time said that it was scurvy was because of poor digestion so they would prescribe um like fermenting fizzy drinks and stuff to try and fix that which obviously is not going to do the job but mm -hmm. the the captains at sea kind of had an instinct and thought citrus fruit, fruits are making a difference at the time they used to use lemon and lime kind of interchangeably as terms they call any citrus fruit a lemon or a lime um, but in 1795, they, they officially issue lemon juice to the Royal Navy because they're like, this is going to do something to counteract scurvy. They obviously didn't know it was because of vitamin C, as we found out like on our Marmite episode. <laughs> Vitamins weren't discovered until 1912. So they didn't know it was about that, but they knew it was something. And that carries on for a while, but... Um, shortly after 1795 they were getting their lemons from Spain but Spain allies itself with France who you know we are not friendly with and so we can't get lemons anymore so instead they then switched to limes and it was the reputation of English sailors you know eating limes to combat scurvy that we get the term limeys you know as the US and the Australians sometimes call us limeys yeah the thing with limes is I actually have about a quarter of the amount of vitamin C that lemons do. So oh. it wasn't as effective <laughs> as when they were, they were having lemon juice, but um, we were not friendly with Spain. So that's what happened. Mm. However, I've not told you why it's called grog. So the name grog, most likely we think, comes from Admiral Vernon's nickname. He was called Old Grog because he wore cloak made of grogram which people found unusual but he did it because it kept him dry grogram is a is a fabric that's um i forget which way it is but it's like heavier on the weft than the warp or something but it looks corded essentially because one way of weaving it is heavier than the other and it was notable so they called him old grog because of that and grog came off the back that old grog had issued that that's how you have to drink your rum now I wonder if my swoosh were inspired by Old Grog, their character Old Greg. What do you think? Maybe. I mean, he was a kind of sea creature that lived in a that kind of weird environment with a, his mangina. <laughs> well, then I think the answer is probably yes. I can't confirm whether Admiral Vernon ever manginaed, but um, 
Certainly old Grog, he was known as. Did Greg wear any corded materials? Uh, he used to drink Baileys from a shoe. That sounds about right. Um, One of the other things, before I go on to sort of the decline of grog drinking, um, one of the things they used to do is, you know, sailors wanted to check that the rum they were being given was high enough alcohol content and it wasn't being, you know, watered down or anything. And so they would ask for proof, which is when you think about alcohol proof, and we generally call it ABV now, alcohol by by volume, but we did call it, you know, alcohol proof. And they would test it on gunpowder. So they pour some onto the gunpowder on deck. And then if they um, lit it and it would, um, it was on fire, that was called overproof. And if it didn't, it was underproof. And you could, you could, you know, light, try lighting spirits alcohol on fire regardless of the gunpowder. But the thing is, it can vary tremendously depending on other factors like temperature and you know pressure and other sorts of stuff whereas the gunpowder kind of evened it out if you were testing it without it could be anywhere between 40 and 90 percent as would constitute overproof so right. yeah that's kind of where all the gunpowder references come from and proof and overproof hmm. um so the de- so that why there's like you have gunpowder spirits don't you yes that's, by- that's exactly why that's where it comes from yeah when you get, um, and also um, the the uh, the rum was issued by the purser. So you'll sometimes see references to things like purser's rum or purser's rum. Um, they will corrupt it as, and that comes from you know, the fact that it was dished out by the purser. Um, grog. I'm enjoying this. <laughs> alas, is still, uh, is not anymore dished out by the Navy to the Navy people. But... It persisted longer than I thought it would. So as we found out multiple times with this, uh, with this podcast, what century do you think uh, that it becomes unacceptable to be handing out half pints of rum every day to the Navy? Oh, God. Like, 18? No, it's the 90s. It's the Victorians. It's the prudish, it's the prudish Puritan Victorians. <laughs> So, yeah, the change in attitude kind of comes in around then. And in 1824, they decide to half the size of the tot. So the tot is the measure you get. Um, They decide to half the size of it. So it was now one quarter of a pint rather than half a pint. And they thought that might improve the situation. And then uh, in 1850, something called the Admiral's Grog Committee which I think is an excellent pirate metal band name. <laughs> Admiral's Grog Committee convened to look into the problem again, and they recommended it be eliminated completely. But that was too big a step for the Navy, and instead they just halved it again. So you now get one-eighth of a pint every day. And that meant that they eliminated the evening serving. So you just got an eighth of a pint before noon every day. Which, you know, I'm sure you still wouldn't say no to, but um, they, they weren't too happy about it. And then uh, in, in 1969, in December, the Admiralty Board uh, issued a written, state, a, written, a written answer to a question from an MP. So it actually goes to Parliament by this, this time. And it's an MP from Woolwich East who says, 
the Admiralty Board concludes that the RUM issue is no longer compatible with the high standards of efficiency required now that the individual's tasks in ships are concerned with complex and often delicate machinery and systems on the correct functioning of which people's lives may depend. So essentially because the ships had a lot more technology in them, they felt that it wasn't appropriate, you know, as opposed to people just um, swabbing their poop decks and setting sails and all that kind of business. And they actually had a debate about it in the House of Commons in January 1970, which is called the Great Rum Debate. And what I like is that the people on different sides of the argument, so the one who said the ration shouldn't be removed was the MP for Erith and Crayford. Uh, you know, Erith is just right next to Woolwich. It's like 10 minutes away from Woolwich. So I think it's quite funny that these MPs were clearly, you know, warring neighbours yeah. regardless of this rum debate. <laughs> went on for over an hour. Uh, and then they finally decided that the rum ration was not appropriate. Leading to 31st of July, 1970, which was the final day of the rum ration. And the Navy poured it as usual at six bells in the forenoon watch, it's 11 a.m. Um, and they would shout up spirits. And uh, some of the sailors wore black armbands. And the, the tops <laughs> that they were given were buried at sea. <laughs> they would throw them into oh, the sea. Actually, one, one Navy training camp, HMS Collingwoods, um, which is in Hampshire, they did a mock funeral procession. They had a black <laughs> coffin. They had drummers and pipers. They did the whole shebang. Um, <laughs> so it was not a popular move among the Navy. They, um, they tried to make them kind of feel better about it by giving them an extra beer, a can of beer for their rations. But, you know, it was the tradition of the rum, really, that they weren't too happy with. It's kind, of, it's kind of sad to imagine, isn't it? A little funeral for not having your rum tots every day. <laughs> I mean, I, I'm going to start kicking off if I don't have rum before noon every day. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. If someone told me I wasn't allowed to, you know, present webinars with a glass of wine anymore, I would definitely hold a funeral procession. <laughs> <laughs> I'd be there for it. I'd help. Yeah. I'd play the part. So obviously that's kind of like the, the English evolution of grog. Um, you can see the legacy now. I don't want to talk too much about rum because we'll probably do it separately another time, but you can see the evolution that, that happened after that with adding things to rum, like water and so forth. You get bumbo, um, which was rum, water, sugar, and nutmeg, which you can see is kind of mm -hmm. like one of the early spiced rums concoctions. And you get all sorts of varieties of grog around the world which are essentially kind of the rules, if there are rules, are it's one alcohol and it's topped with, you know, one mixer. And then sometimes it has spices and things thrown in as well. Uh, but Bumbo was much more popular with pirates. Pirates and locals preferred to spice their mixtures rather than, you know, I mean, you would really, the whole reason they were having it watered down was to try and make sure that they weren't too drunk on, on duty. So the yeah. kind of more flavorful cocktail version of it, it's no wonder it was more popular amongst people like pirates who, you know, I guess their captains didn't mind so much if they were a little bit sozzled. <laughs> it was encouraged. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, I mean, we weren't the only, you know, the only Navy drinking at sea and taking that approach, but we were the ones that decided rum was going to be our thing. So as I said, you know, the Americans went down the coffee route to, to flavor their water. The French stuck with wine, <laughs> even though it wouldn't last as long as the spirits. They're like, you know, we're having our wine. Is that, yeah. is that okay to have that accent? I don't know. Um, and the Dutch, <laughs> I mean, yeah, no, no, not okay. Um, the Dutch had gin, 
obviously that was their thing mm -hmm. they sailed with, sailed with gin as well so you know it's it obviously like dominance of the english empire that makes us associate uh sailors with with drinking rum and pirates with rum but each navy kind of had their preferred way of flavoring their water creating their own grogs um there was another favored drink though by the british navy by the sailors which was madeira and it was really popular you know more among the captains uh, the people in power were favor madeira over grog generally so madeira in case you don't know it's a fortified wine very much like port that i'm drinking now um mm -hmm. in a way produced in the madeira islands shocker uh and you know madeira is um it's a Portuguese territory, but it's it's Northwest Africa, so it was often a stopping point for for the British sailing, you know, either out into the East Indies or from the New Worlds, and they would stop there and stock up on their fortified wines, and as a tactic to prevent the wine from spoiling, um, they would add sort of neutral grape spirits, so the spirit would stop it from from spoiling quite so much. However, what happened is the wine producers of Madeira um, discovered that when an unsold shipment of wine had been returned to them, re returned to the islands, don't ask me how wine gets unsold, um, <laughs> returned to the islands after this round trip, they thought, well, we might as well drink this then. And the flavour of the wine had been completely transformed during its voyage. And it had been exposed to, you know, the heat of the voyage and also the movement, the rocking movement of being on deck. Mm -hmm. And today that is a distinctive quality of Madeira in the winemaking process that involves heating the wine and deliberately exposing it to some levels of oxidation, which normally would make a wine disgusting. You really don't want that in other wines, but for this one, it really improved the flavour. So um, most countries limit the use of the term Madeira to those wines. They have to come from Madeira Islands. They're one of those European Union protected designated origin status things. So Madeira wine really should come from Madeira and its, it's winemaking process is imitating what would happen to the wine if it was going on those long voyages to be preserved. Those smart pirates and seamen. Right. We've got a lot to learn from them. <laughs> yeah. No, I was thinking it was just pillaging and shouting <laughs> <laughs> i mean let's not ignore pillaging and shouting but um there was there was a lot of rationing going on as well <laughs> and work heavy work um do you do you have sort of like an ethos or a character you you feel like you would take on if you were to go pirating um i'd definitely be drunk the whole time Sure, but, it, but do you have a character you would take on? Uh, could I take on Sloth and the Goonies? <laughs> <laughs> I really don't feel like you're stretching yourself. <laughs> um, I don't know. <laughs> I, would, um, I would definitely be focused on seeking out new foodstuffs and new drinks like you know you can have your treasure i want to yeah. discover you know i want to sail to sort of central america and discover the finest new tequilas and bring them back to britain or um you know get all the potatoes from chile and make and like sail around the world selling crisps that kind of thing 
I'd be like your little idiotic sidekick that just winningly tastes everything that you make. <laughs> You're the taste <laughs> tester. <laughs> We're like, that looks poisonous. Go and try that. Drink that. See what happens. Yeah. <laughs> and you'll have you'll be like one of those historic figures that had. Um, I can't remember who it was now. There's a, there's a famous ruler who um, would gradually have more and more poison to make himself immune to poisoning. You'd be that person. You'd end up just being immune to everything. And one day you'd be like, yeah, this is fine. And the rest of the crew would try it and we'd all drop dead. You'd be like left alone sailing on a ghost ship. Yeah, I have no idea what it's doing. <laughs> uh, any last um, piracy thoughts before we wrap up? No, I think that's quite a poignant place to stop, really. <laughs> yeah, you sailing around the world on a ghost ship. Absolutely. So our glasses have run dry, which means it's time to gather around the scuttlebutt until one of us is over a barrel. Bottoms up. Clear us out. Thanks for that.